Would you open up your Bibles to the book of Acts? Um, if, if you normally follow along with us on the app, you're going to be lost today because I'm not preaching that. Uh, I'm not preaching what I planned on preaching today. Is that okay? Um, because in the last couple days, I've just felt the Lord moving in my heart to talk about something different, and I'm not really even sure what I'm supposed to say about it, and, I, and there's a part of me that's afraid to say about it. Not, not because I'm worried about what you think, <laughs> um, just because, like, sometimes there's these holy things that you see happening, and, and your human lips don't feel worthy to talk about them. That makes sense to anybody? Uh, February 3rd, 1970, on the campus of Asbury College, uh, something special began to happen. Actually, I think you're going to see a picture behind me here in just a second. Um, go to that first picture, guys, the black and white one. This is, this is Hughes Auditorium on the campus of Asbury College in February of 1970. The, the student body gathered there for chapel like they normally do, and God just started moving among them in such a way that they filled that chapel with prayer and praise and all kinds of really powerful things for 185 straight hours. You can do the math. There's 24 hours in a day. You can, you can do how many days that was. For 185 straight hours, that room had people in it praying, seeking God, worshiping. People were experiencing salvation and miracles and deliverance and repentance and revival just happened on that campus for 185 hours. Nobody slept. There was nobody in charge. There was no real, this wasn't manufactured or manifested or anybody trying to control it or manipulate it. God just started moving in such a way in that room that people didn't want to leave it and people outside of that room started hearing about it and people started driving to that campus from all over the country and before you know it word spread to other campuses and and from what I've read and been told over 135 campuses experienced some kind of move of God based on just what they heard about what happened on that campus in February of 1970. I've heard about it my whole life because my mom and dad were there. I don't know for sure, but there's a good chance my parents are somewhere in, in that, that picture. My dad was a student at the seminary across the street from the college at Asbury Seminary when it happened. And my entire life, I've heard stories about the 1970 Asbury revival. My mom actually covered it for some news and media outlets around the Wilmore. It's in Wilmore, Kentucky, Wilmore, Lexington, Kentucky. Lexington, Kentucky is where the University of Kentucky is. And people on that campus began to hear about what God was doing on the campus of Asbury. And for 53 years, people have talked about this moment. Because for many of them, it was a defining moment in their lives. It was when people got called to ministry. It was when people laid down addictions. It was when people experienced all kinds of miraculous things. And for 185 hours, God did amazing things in that space. That was February the 3rd, 1970. The picture that you first see, which is the next picture you're going to see, is from February the 8th. 2023, this past Wednesday, 
the student body gathered in that same. Do you see? Can you even see the, the panels? Look, just look how the room looks the same. It's the very same room. And 53 years later, like it's not even really modernized. It's probably the same seats. There's not a whole lot of lighting or production added to it. It's the same room. And on this past Wednesday, February the 8th at 1030, the students met for chapel. And as of right now, God is still meeting with them in that room right at this very moment. As as we're sitting in this room, they're probably nearing a hundred straight hours of just praising God and worshiping. And, and when it first started, it seems like there was just a handful of people that kind of lingered after chapel and people were praying. And next thing you know, the Holy Spirit just started moving and stirring and people were repenting of sins and, and, and confessing and, and seeking God. And once again, experience heal, experiencing healing and deliverance. And now we're a hundred hours into this and it's beginning to spread. I I don't know, maybe, maybe you're in the room or maybe you're watching online and, and you've seen it starting to go viral because unlike in 1970, social media is starting to spread it all over the world. And we're hearing reports of now revival breaking out on other campuses, revival happening in, in Indonesia. I heard stories of Indonesia where people have heard about what God is doing on the campus of this tiny little school in Wilmore, Kentucky, once again, showing up in the very same room that he did almost 53 years ago to the very day. Matter of fact, I want to show you this clip. This was last night at around There's nobody in charge. There's, there's no speakers. There's no agenda. There's no set list of songs. It's just as God starts to move and prompt people's spirit, somebody will jump up and read a passage of scripture or offer up a word of encouragement. And, and there's, it's not any particular person. It's just as the spirit begins to move on people. 
There's, there's no fancy production or lights or haze, and there's, there's nothing but just the stirring of the Spirit of God so thick that people don't want to leave it. I've heard stories of some people that have barely slept since Wednesday, and they're just kind of running on spiritual fuel. And even, even this, the institution has, has kind of hit some pause on some classes and they're trying to figure out how to adjust just to, to not quench what God is doing and just to let, let the spirit breathe. And I know, I know people personally that have, have just decided, my alma mater, I went to Southern Wesleyan University in Central South Carolina. There was this group of students so moved by that, they loaded up on a bus this week and said, we're headed to Wilmore just to see what God's doing. And there's even already talks about, once again, this spreading onto other campuses. And I've seen God, I've seen pictures and videos of other places where there's just something beginning to swell among this group of people. And I wanted you to see it. And the one reason why I really wrestled whether to talk about it is because I don't know why I want you to know. Because we can't, we can't make something like that happen. You can't, you can't manufacture or manipulate or manifest something like that. When the Holy Spirit moves like that, he, he moves in his prerogative, in his way and in his time and the way he wants to. And, and you can't manufacture that. But I just got to say, I watch these videos and I've heard about this my whole life. And there's just something in my soul that longs to see it. Not for 185 hours. And I don't know what it looks like on the other side of that. And, 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 and what will God do out of this season at Asbury University? What will, what will it change in certain people's lives? I don't know. But this is what I know. I am deeply convinced that God is there for a reason, for a purpose. And what he's going to do in the lives of those people is going to linger into eternity. That in 1970, when he fell, there are people that stepped out into ministry and led in churches and went back into homes broke generational curses and told people about Jesus. They led people to Christ and saw people get baptized because what are they experienced in that moment? Because it's not just about that moment. It's not just about the emotions of that space, that God's doing something to set a, a fire in the hearts of people that will then maybe not be that same spiritual high that they have in that room, but it will lead to some spiritual maturity that they carry into spaces of their lives that they would not have taken it otherwise. And even go back to that second picture. I want you guys to see that, that second picture that, that's, that's, that's in there. This one right here. I just stared at it on my phone. And I could pinch and zoom. And I noticed like, like down here in this corner, I don't know if you can see it, down here in the far right corner, there's a kid in, in, a, in a hat that, that looks like he's maybe, what, 18, 19 years old, and he's got a group of friends and he's praying with. Then move over to this left side, and you see two obviously older gentlemen with their hands on each other praying. And then you move into the, this center, one right, right, right here. 
When this guy's got his hands on this guy's head and he's, he's praying something over him. And I just started seeing that, like there's people of all generations in this room experiencing this move. And I heard stories of, of, of pastors in their 70s that have gotten in their car and drove 15, 20 hours to Wilmore, Kentucky, because they say, I want to see the spirit move like that and before I die. I want to experience it in my lifetime, and I just want to go. And I've literally, y'all, I've heard of people walking in the room, and they, can, they, just, they just say, you step in the room, and the thickness of the Holy Spirit is almost physically tangible. And of course, there are people that are already beginning to figure out ways to dismiss this. That it's all just man- manipulation and manufactured and done by this and that and that kind of stuff. And it's funny. Even, even believers, y'all, even people that call themselves Christians are looking at this that Asbury is experiencing through a very critical lens, trying to find a way to dismiss it. And again, I think it's jealousy masquerading as, as skepticism because you've never seen it and you don't think it's real. And so therefore, you need to find a reason why it's not of God. But I'm also reminded that whenever the spirit moves, there's always going to be people that don't understand it and want to dismiss it. I was reminded this morning of the day of Pentecost. When, when God made good on a promise. The disciples had spent the last almost 50 days shut up in a room, praying, seeking God, waiting for them to experience what Jesus said they would before they stepped out to take this movement that he started forward. And I'm sure there were moments as they were in this upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, they thought about the conversation that they had with Jesus in the upper room. In John chapter 16, go to John chapter 16. None of this is going to be on the screen because because none of this is going to be on the screen. John chapter 16. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and he's he's trying to prepare them, y'all, for for what's going to come. And right as you end chapter chapter 15, he says, when the advocate comes, whom I will, this is verse 26 of chapter 15. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Drop down to verse 7 of chapter 16. It says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away, because unless I go away, the advocate will not come, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus made the disciples a promise. He says, if I go, I will send him to you. I promise you, I'm going to send you the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will be all that you need to walk out all that I'm asking. I'm going to put my Spirit on you. And when I do, you're going to have all the power that you need to walk in the calling that I put on your life. But he says, you wait till he comes because you cannot do this in and of yourself. But when the spirit comes, everything's going to change. Moving to Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit finally does come. 
Can we just read the Bible in church today? Is that all right with everybody? Come on. It says when the verse, verse one of chapter two. It says when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? And then if you see all these, there's all these different regions that they're from, it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they're drunk. See, when the Holy Spirit really moves, there will always be people that don't understand it because it's supernatural. It's outside the realm of what we're used to. It's outside of what we experience, and it will make you uncomfortable. Do you hear me, church? That the Holy Spirit, when he moves in his fullness, it will make even people of faith uncomfortable. And maybe that's why we never experience, because we as the American church love comfort more than we love anything else. Thank you. We're so afraid of this supernatural, even so that so many of the churches we grew up in have tried to dilute this idea of the spirit and almost made us afraid of a huge part of the Godhead. That we get weirded out and we get freaked out and we think people are going to be a looking at us as freaks if we let the Spirit move on us. And if we're going to see the movement of the Spirit like he desires for us to experience, you got to be willing to look a little silly. you got to be willing to get uncomfortable. you got to be willing to embrace it. And you got to be willing to believe that the same God that fell on Pentecost is the same God that wants to fall on his church right now. It happened in 70. It's happened in 2023. All I can think about is he's the same God. He's the same God. The same God that showed up in that room in 1970 is in that room right now. And he's the same God that showed up on the day of Pentecost and birthed his church in anointing and power. So here's how Peter responds to everybody thinking they've been knocking them back at early in the morning. Verse 14, it says, then Peter stood up with the 11, he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Like if it was four, would it be different? No, this, then this is what he says. Look at y'all, verse 16, no. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter's about to say, no, you're experiencing the payoff on a promise. 
What's happening among you should not seem foreign to you. Most of you are Jewish. You grew up with the Old Testament. You grew up with the prophets. You grew up with Isaiah and Jeremiah, which is, which is even more puzzling that you could, you could grow up reading Isaiah chapter 53 and be in here right now and not see Jesus for who he is. And if you've never read that mark a thing in your Bible right now, today, later, read Isaiah 53. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever stepped on the planet, Isaiah explained exactly who he was and what he would do. But he says, don't you, don't you remember what the prophet Joel spoke among you? Verse 17 says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think what Joel prophesied about this pouring out of the Spirit on men and women on sons and daughters, was not supposed to be a singular moment. That from now until the time that Jesus comes again, he will continue to pour out his spirit on any generation who's willing to receive it. And we get caught up in that, well, the last days. And we always hear that question right now with all that's happening in the world. Every generation has experienced things in the world that would cause us to think we're in the last days. And I think that when Peter even said that, he believed he was in the last days. And we are in the last days. But keep in mind, days to God and days to us are very, very different things. To God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. So if we're in the last days, it may just be days in, as the way our mind can think it, but it's not in the ways that God's mind comprehends time. I think in 1970, at Asbury, that was Joel happening among a generation, God pouring out his spirit over sons and daughters, prophesying. And we misunderstand what it means to be prophetic. Did you know prophesying doesn't necessarily mean predicting the future. Prophesying is is, is speaking a word of God, from God, through God. Does that make sense? Prophetic word is something that freaks us out in some modern churches. And we start, oh, they're talking prophetic word. Next thing you know, they're bringing out a basket of snakes. So much so we, we, we're pushing back against these gifts of the Spirit of God that he wants to use in us because we've taken them to this weird idea in an extreme place. When God's saying, no, I want to speak to my people. Go back and read John again where he talks about the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of things that I've taught. He's going to teach you truth. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, look at me, how you can always know if it's the Holy Spirit and not just... Like, you shouldn't have gone to Taco Bell the night before or something. I don't know. Like, how you can know it's from the... The Holy Spirit will always say something in alignment with what he's already said. 
The Holy Spirit will never lead anybody to speak a prophetic word that lies in opposition or contrast to what God's word has already said. This is how you test it. This is how you test it. But God is still speaking to his people and he's pouring himself out on his people. He did then, he is now. And I think what we're seeing happening in Wilmore, Kentucky is proof that God is still desiring so desperately to pour himself out on his people because the same God that desired it in these pages is the same God that desired it in 1970 and it's the same God that's desiring to do it in 2023. And the question that, that we tend to want to wrestle with in these seasons is like, okay, God, how, how, how? And probably the worst thing that could happen as we're watching and witnessing what's happening in Wilmore, Kentucky, is for us to try to force it to happen among us. And this is where I hit that part of like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say next. How does it happen? I'm watching what's happening in these spaces and I'm also thinking about all the times God's doing it and you never hear about it. You think God just showed up in Wilmore, Kentucky and he ain't been showing up but other places among his people around the world every single day since the beginning of time? You never hear about it. I do know this. I don't know that I've ever heard about one of these moments that didn't happen on the other side of fervent prayer. I've heard stories of a campus prayer group on the campus of Asbury known as the Furnace who have been praying for God to bring revival to their student body for the last two years. Praying, seeking God, seeking his... This is, this is what... I, we don't seek for that to happen. We seek the one who can make it happen. On the day of Pentecost, what Paul, excuse me, what Peter did as the Spirit was moving among them as he pointed them to Jesus, he preaches the gospel, y'all. If you read verses 22 and the following verses, he gives this really simple gospel message. So he finally gets to verse 36, where he says this, Acts 2, verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, to the, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 39. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with him, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That in response 
to the moving of the Spirit. I don't know how to bring it, but I know what we should do on the other side of it. Does that make sense? That every time the Holy Spirit falls, it seems to me as I read throughout Scripture, whether it be here or even other places in the Old Testament, when the Spirit moves in his fullness, when he shows up in his thickness, when he begins to move among his people, it's for the purpose of cultivating hearts and minds to be open to him. It's not about when the Holy, the first way to know it's not of God is when a preacher or a person tries to leverage to build something of their own. It's not about that. It's about when the Holy Spirit, the Holy, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be the one that would draw people to himself. The Holy Spirit would be the one that would go in and cultivate the heart and mind to receive the gospel. There is not a single sermon that's ever saved anybody. It's always been the Spirit leveraging that sermon for his good, for his glory, in order to bring people to repentance and salvation. Sermons don't save people. The Spirit does. And so what do I say to you in response to what we're seeing? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins because that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And to repent means it's time to to change. Change your mind, change your heart. Turn towards him, see him for who he is. What he was calling those people to do is to recognize Jesus for who he was. To recognize that, look, you, you haven't just made mistakes for which you should regret. You have sinned for which you need to repent. And God makes us a promise that when we repent, when we confess, when we acknowledge our need of him, he forgives, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, makes us clean and worthy of his presence, and we get to live in relationship with him. That's the promise. That's the promise. And today, in just a minute, we're going to watch some people go through the waters of baptism. It's this symbolic gesture I think about, I think about that day of Pentecost. How did they baptize all them people? They had to go down in the river. And they, and who all was, was Peter, was John, were all the disciples there, the apostles, all these people, and they're just standing on the shore and they're watching all these people begin to, he says, repent and be baptized. And I just almost see like this rush of people coming up. He was like, oh man, I didn't expect that minute. And next thing you know, like all these people, and, and you don't think that, that shouting and glory and all these amazing things are happening in this, in this moment, in this space where God's moving and people's lives are being changed. This week, this is going to seem silly, what I'm about to say. God is real. Come on. I know, that's like, preacher, that's simple, yeah, but God is real. The most powerful thing that a human can ever recognize is God is real. This week, I saw, I just, I woke up every single day, like, God, you're real. That's the other thing I know. Life is hard. 
Can I tell you, can I, can I preach some truth to y'all today? Things I'm convinced of. God is real. Life is hard. I am broken and desperate for him. And I still believe the most miraculous thing that ever happens is when a sinner gets saved. The most miraculous thing that ever happens is when a hard heart gets softened by the Spirit and takes ownership of their sin and confesses it to God and decides in their heart to turn towards him and receive his forgiveness. So you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. If you're here today and you're getting baptized, I'm invite you to go ahead and get up out of your seat and head to those doors to my left and there's gonna be some of our team there to meet you. And I'm gonna do something that I'm, I'm probably not supposed to do. If you feel led to get baptized today, look at me, no, yeah, uh, pick your heads back up and look at me. I'm hesitant to give that invitation because I don't want it to be an emotional experience. Baptism is a gesture given to us, modeled for us by Jesus. Because it's so symbolic. Jesus was, was dead and resurrected. And when we accept him, we, we step into the beauty of, of that reality. That you too are dead in your sin. Look at, you're not just a, like a bad person. You're not just, bro, you're dead. Sin says, apart from him, we are dead. Come on, talk to me. We're dead. Jesus didn't die just to make bad people good. He died to make dead people have life. And so that's what this gesture is. It's it's you were dead in your sin, but now that you've accepted Jesus, you you are raised to new life in him. It's also symbolic as in the Bible says that we are washed white as snow with pure water because the spotless lamb of God, his only son, shed his blood so that we could be cleansed from all our iniquities. And so today, if, if, if you've done that and you've never done this, today's a good day to do it. That if you've accepted Jesus as your savior, you've put your faith and trust in him, you've acknowledged what he did on the cross and through the grave, then do this gesture because it's a powerful reminder of what he's done for you. It also is a public acknowledgement of that decision that Jesus said, if you deny me before people, I I will deny you before the father. But if you acknowledge me before people, I will acknowledge you before the father. So it's that saying, hey, I don't care what you think. I don't care if you knew me and how crazy I was. In high school, I am new. I am different. I am made clean. I am not better than you, but I'm different because Jesus has taken away my sin. And if you've never done that, and today's the day you need to do that, just get up out of your seat, head out those doors. We got what you need, I think. Okay, yeah, we do. I got a thumbs up. Just go right now. You're good. I'm still preaching, so whatever you got to do. Bow your heads, close your eyes, for real this time. If that's you if, you, if you need to go public with your faith, just go out those back doors. Go out doors to my left, and there's going to be some volunteers there to meet you. Or maybe today's where you, you get to do both. You get to accept Jesus as your Savior and, and go public. Can I do that? Yeah. Go to read Acts chapter 8. 
when Philip leads the Ethiopian eunuch to faith. He says, what is there to stand between me and getting baptized? And Philip basically says, nothing, let's go. And if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior today, you don't need to, there's, there's no specific prayer the Bible says that you need to pray to do that. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that you raised Jesus from the dead, repent of your sins. Do more than just to acknowledge your sin. And see, God, God's forgiveness isn't saying what you've done is okay. He's saying, I'm not gonna hold it against you because I sent my son to die for that sin. Soak in the presence of God. Just give some space for the Lord. If you're looking for, if you're going to get baptized, go out the doors to my left. There'll be people waiting for you there. We're going to sing in just a minute. We're going to worship, and then we're going to watch people go through these waters trust and believe that God is among us, moving powerfully. The same God that fell on Pentecost and the same God that's meeting with the folks worshiping in Hughes Auditorium in Asbury right now is here among us, stirring and moving. And maybe just the Lord's moving on your heart and you need to come and turn this platform into an altar and pray. Maybe there's some husbands and wives some moms and dads, some people that just need to sit and soak in the presence of God. Just give you space. Yeah, come on. Come on. Come on. I'm just going to be quiet and let the Spirit have His way. Could I ask some of our prayer warriors just to circle around the room? Just some people who, who maybe you hear you just need some prayer today. Maybe there's something on you or in you that you're just struggling to release, to let go of, to surrender. And you just, would you, look, all around the room, there's men and women who love you, who want to pray over you, who want to put hands on you. So maybe today as you're in the room and God's working on your heart, you just need to get up out of your seat and go to one of these trusted people and let them pray over you. Let the Holy Spirit guide them and how they need to pray over you in a way that could be transformative right now.